Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. I always find that my most effective teaching comes from the lessons that I have learned, especially recently, through my personal experiences. So I stand amazed at God's timing for today's discussion. It was four weeks ago that we started this expository study in the book of Revelation. Six days after we taped our first show, I contracted COVID. I was out of commission for three weeks, but half of that time, I was completely wiped out. But as Charles Dickens said, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the worst of times because the oppression that came over me for 11 days was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. But it was the best of times because God opened my eyes to so many spiritual truths that correlate to what's going on in the world today, as well as our study of the Church of Smyrna. I'm Debbie Blank, encouraging you to open your spiritual ears to hear what God has to say to you through his word. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. The enemy of the gospel is turning up the heat of oppression and persecution of Christians in our country. So far, we've seen increasing derision, censorship, and unfair targeting of churches during COVID, with lockdowns, fines, and even arrests. The Church of Smyrna was also in the crosshairs of our enemy, Satan the Devil. While he is no match for Jesus, the attacks of Satan are real and powerful. Debbie's recent bout with COVID has given her some insights she'd like to share as we begin our study of the Church of Smyrna, the persecuted church. Oh, Jackie, for each of us who's experienced COVID, we've got our own sagas, whether it's us or our family members, our personal stories. And I don't want to share everything with our listeners, but there are some things I need to share with you so you'll understand where I'm coming from today. My symptoms started mild. I had a light cough, a slightly elevated temp. I was tired for a couple of days and thought I better get tested. So I did. And on day four, I found out I had COVID. So on day five, I thought, okay, I'm quarantined for 10 days. I'm going to make the most of my time. I'm going to spend my time with the Lord. Since everything's pretty normal, I can utilize this time in a good way. Wham! I got knocked solid for 11 days. And it wasn't COVID symptoms. It was oppression. My symptoms had still ended except for my fatigue, but the oppression that came upon me was unlike anything I've ever felt before. It was like this evil presence encompassed me, surrounding me with negative influences and zapping my spiritual energy. I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't pray. The only thing I could really do was recite scripture that I had memorized. And then it was more from rote than it was from worship or anything else. But I knew I had to do something to seek God because I knew that this was a spiritual oppression. I wasn't delirious. I didn't have a fever. I was in my right mind. But something was really wrong. For 11 days, it was like this. But thank God for the prayers of faithful saints. While they were praying for my physical well-being, it was my spiritual well-being that I really needed prayers for, of course, along with the physical. Nobody had any idea what kind of a spiritual battle I was going through, and I really didn't either until I came out of it. Finally, I woke up on day 16. The oppression was gone. I could feel a huge difference physically and spiritually. 
I was finally able to seek the Lord in his word and understand what had happened and what he wanted me to learn from it. So you talked about it wasn't really depression, it was oppression. How do you describe oppression? I describe it as something that you have absolutely no control over. It is uh, something that zaps you completely spiritually. Oppression, it's hard to see because it's just like everything's black. Now, I was alive and I was awake and I was doing things as normally as I could for the few hours that I was awake, but it was just like this huge weight was on me. That's the only way I can explain it. So when I came out of it and I realized that it was an oppression rather than a, just a human reaction to COVID and the, and the depressive concerns that you might have. I mean, I had pretty well given up and it's not like I gave up because I was depressed. It was just like, I had no strength to do anything. I didn't know what to do because Satan didn't want me to be able to think or act or move or turn to God at a time when I needed him most. He wanted to completely blanket me with his evil. It was not a pleasant place to be. You've said that having gone through all of this, you've learned some things. Generally, we think of why me, why now, why this, when things happen to us. Did you come to any conclusions about that? I did. And the very first conclusion was that there's a real spiritual battle going on in our world today. Now, that's not surprising. We know that. We're teaching that on Tuesday night. The spiritual battle that always rages because Satan is the God of this world is getting worse because Satan knows he has a short time and he will do whatever he needs to do to destroy us. So what I understood with my head is that Satan is alive and well and he's active and been active since the time of the Garden of Eden and will be until the end of the millennial kingdom. But now it's different. We can see it playing out. When you consider that America is what I think is as the last bastion of a real good democratic republic Christian society, and we are sliding down that slippery slope, not only are we sliding down, but people are applauding it. People are championing it. They're excited about it. They don't see anything wrong with it. Our eyes are being blinded. So even though I know this stuff is going on, I was actually amiss to really comprehend all the chaos and ungodliness and deception and the evil that we're seeing, not even thinking of how this is the new normal that we're going to experience. And it's nothing unusual because we see spiritual battles throughout all of scripture. But as you said, it's one thing knowing it intellectually and another thing to have experienced it. I think from what I'm hearing from you, a deeper level and a deeper realization of how crucial the times we live in are. They are because I'm not walking in sin, at least not intentionally. God and I are on good terms. I'm not being oppressed by anything in the world as such except normal spiritual activity. Why me? Why did God allow me to go through this so that I could see this, experience it, feel it? And I think it was to remind me so we could tell our listeners what a spiritual battle we're in. And it's one that's not going to end. Satan can target us at any time, anybody. And generally, we don't even realize it. But most of the time, we're just lulled into complacency. See, most of us are easy targets for Satan. He doesn't really have to fight too hard because so many people want power and money that they're willing to do anything to get it. And then you have easy targets because we're just complacent. 
We're followers. We're weak. We'll do whatever anybody tells us to do rather than looking for the truth. But sadly, some of the easiest targets are those who call themselves Christians but don't really have a relationship with Jesus because they just go along in life thinking, oh, I'm a great person. I'm going to go to heaven when in fact they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Satan has them right where he wants them. But it's those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ that need to open our eyes to the spiritual battle and realize the battle is not from the world. The battle is in the heavenlies. And so, as you said, it's not going to go away. I think a lot of us are hoping and praying that things will get back to normal and now kind of wonder what is normal? What's normal going to be? Is it going to be, quote unquote, the new normal? We suffered after the new normal of 9-11, things changed. I'm just wondering if there's going to be a new normal. And then what happens to people who, as you said, either call themselves Christians, or maybe they actually are Christians, but they're what we might call carnal Christians, where they're just, you know, one foot in the world, and that foot's pretty deeply in the world. And I think of Lot, how Lot was lured by Sodom, and how tragically that turned out, and he was barely saved with his life from the punishment that Sodom deserved. It may be time for us to evaluate our situation and get really, really serious about where we are. We can see the new normal as we look back. Just look back in the last 50 years of our country and see how far we have fallen, fallen away from God, fallen from integrity. Everything in our culture has slid down that slippery slope, and it's all away from God. It's all towards lies, deception, immorality, self-centeredness, all the things that Satan stands for, and not God. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. The scripture's full of battles that have taken place spiritually. Probably one of my favorite is Daniel chapter 10. He was humbling himself before God, looking for an answer to his prayers from God. So in so doing, he was mourning and he was fasting. In verse 11, the angel appeared to him and said, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you. He said, do not be afraid, Daniel, from the day that you set your heart to understand this and humble yourself before our God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. How encouraging that is to know that when we pray, God sends his angels to answer our prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I've been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days of the future. Now did you catch that? God sent the angel to answer Daniel's prayer, but he had so many spiritual battles in the heavenly that it took him 21 days to be able to fight those battles, to be able to answer Daniel's prayer and give him the vision that Daniel was seeking. This is Daniel. Daniel is one of the most godly men ever in scripture, and yet he had spiritual battles going on in his life. Why do we think we'll be any different? When you say that the angels were fighting a battle with the princes of Persia, now we're not talking about the physical princes of Persia, but we're talking, aren't we, about demonic powers that have their realm over that area. That's exactly right. So that's one example. Another place we can look at scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. That's very important to understand because we think we're fighting our political enemies or our business enemies or our family members who are not doing the right thing or whatever it is. We think the battle is against them, but it's not. It's against Satan who's in the background. 
Verse four goes on to say, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations at every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, again, it's a spiritual battle and we're destroying speculations. We need to do that. But the only way we can do that is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What if I had just walked through this 11 days of hell, practically for me, spiritually, and just come out of it and said, okay, I'm feeling fine now. I'll get back to normal, knowing that there was something wrong, but not dealing with it, not looking for the mind of Christ, not seeking God's direction on this. I would have lost the entire lesson God wanted me to learn so that I could teach it to others and so that I could live more for Christ and recognize, see the spiritual battles that are going on, not ignore them. It makes me think about putting on the full armor of God. And we've talked about people who actually do that in prayer every day. They get dressed in the full armor of God. We have the weapons of the angelic powers, and we have the weapons that God gives us in Ephesians 6. I'm glad you mentioned Ephesians 6. That's a powerful passage. Ephesians 6.10 starts out by saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on all the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Right there, it tells us we need to be strong in the Lord. That's where our strength comes from. And that we're going to fight spiritual battles. We need to be strong in God so we can stand against those schemes. Oh, and Satan is a schemer. Oh my, is he good. He knows how to push our buttons. He knows where our weaknesses are. He knows how to get us to turn away from God one way or another. Sometimes it's with luxury. Sometimes it's with pain. But he knows how to do it. And if we're not strong in the Lord, we're going to fall into his trap. Verse 12 goes on to say, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, if you read no other verse in Scripture, you read Ephesians six twelve, because that right there tells you that our battle is a spiritual battle. God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ, that we can have that relationship with him forever. And Satan wants just the opposite. He wants us to turn our eyes away from God. He wants us to focus on ourselves and focus on him and do what we want to do and not worry about the future because it'll take care of itself until we wake up on the other side of this life and we're not with Jesus. We're in eternal hell. That's what he wants. Because he just wants to lie to us. He doesn't care about us. Matter of fact, he hates us. So the spiritual battle that he rages is because of his hate, whereas God's is because of his love. And in verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And then verse 14 says, stand firm. So three times there, we are told to stand firm. That means cement your feet into the truth and foundation of Jesus Christ and do not waffle. He starts in verse 14 then by saying, having girded your loins with the truth. In this day and age, what's our problem? Fake news, lies, deception. What's Satan the God of? Lies and deception. So we need to first know what the truth is. And then having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers our heart, our righteousness, our desire to do good and walk with Jesus. Verse 15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
That's our relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing who he is, what he's done for us, surrendering our lives to him. And what does that give us? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And then we take up the shield of faith with which we're able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Then we put on the helmet of salvation, protects our mind and our spirit. Then we take up the one offensive weapon, and that's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The truth, that truth is the only thing that allows me to slay the dragon. But also don't forget in verse 18, with all prayers and petitions, praying at all time in the spirit. Prayer is the effective method that allows God to work in our lives. This is not just us fighting this battle. This is us petitioning God to give us the strength that with all these armaments that he gives us, in order to be able to fight the evil one. For now, we're going to turn to the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, because we want to see what this has to do with my experience that God has shown me about the evil that's going on in this world. And before we get started with that, I just want to remind people that we have a free download of a chart called The Churches of Revelation. If you're interested in getting that, just go to livingwordministry.org, The homepage has a place where you can click and get that download. So you can print one up for yourself and you can follow along with the chart that we're using as well. Oh, great. We need to remember as we look at this church of Smyrna that Satan is alive and well. He was during the persecution of the church of Smyrna. He is today. He may not be working the same way in each one of our churches, but trust me when I tell you he's working because his goal is to destroy the churches, the pastors, Each one of our faiths are calling to share the gospel, everything about the church. That's his goal. So we see that really in the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter two, verse eight. It starts by saying, and the angel to the church of Smyrna, write. In each one of the churches, we first have to understand a little bit of the history so we can understand why Jesus is describing himself the way he is. First of all, Smyrna is the modern city called Izmir in Western Turkey. It's a beautiful city. It's right on a gulf of the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. It was the first city to erect an altar for the god Roma. It was primarily a trade city since it was right there on the water, but it was a community center. It was a city of seven hills with Mount Pagos as one of the major hills. But this is what's interesting is there was a street paved with gold from the temple of Zeus to the temple of Sibyl. So this gives you an idea of this city, how opulent it was, but also the interest in the temples. They had temples to Roma and Nephesus and Amphrodite and Asclepius and Tiberias. It was a city of about 100,000 people. How do we know that? Because they had this great theater, and that's usually how you can tell the size of a city based on the theater size. They had a library and an odium, and it's actually the place of Homer's birth. It was a free city, which is unusual at that time, because usually you're either Roman city or perhaps even a Greek city. They had about 100,000 people, as I said, but 10,000 of those are Jews. That's important to know that 10% of the people in the city are Jews, because that's going to give you an understanding of why people went through the persecution that they went through. One of the other things we look at when we look at a church is the church era. And if, in fact, each one of the churches represents an era, Smyrna would represent the apologistic era, which is the time from 170 to 312. This is a time of great persecution because the Roman emperors had started that persecution under the apostolic era, 
But it was getting worse and worse and worse until the period of time where Constantine would make Christianity the religion of the time. So there's a lot of persecution. It's not unusual, both for the Christian church as well as because of the Jews. Another thing that's kind of interesting as far as the theme of what Jesus is going to be telling this church is the meaning of the word Smyrna. What is the meaning behind that, and how does that relate to the the church of the persecution? Well, Smyrna comes from the word myrrh, which signifies death. Remember, Jesus was given three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. means suffering. The church is going to suffer. How are we going to be affected when persecution comes? You know, we don't have any idea, really, what persecution is like. One of the things I did during my COVID time was read Franklin Graham's book, And I read about the persecution that was going on all over the world in the 80s and 90s and how they were helping. And I thought, how would we like it if our homes were destroyed and we had to walk away and look for a place and have no clothing and no shelter in the middle of winter in Nebraska? But that's what these people are going through. Now, in each one of these, Jesus describes himself starts out in verse 8 by calling himself the first and the last, who is dead and who's come to life, says this. Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last. You can hope in me. I was here at the beginning. I'm here at the end. And you know what? I was dead, but I was raised to life so that you might have newness of life. So Jesus comes to this suffering church, the one who's being persecuted and martyred. And he's saying to them, I am your hope. You will triumph over death when you have hope in me, hope in your future through Jesus Christ. As we go along with this chart and the seven churches, we'll find that Jesus describes himself in a way that is particular to that church, that has special meaning to that church and what that church is going through. So in this case, that life and death is so important while they're being persecuted. Yes, and remember Jesus told us in John sixteen thirty three, in the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So we can look to Jesus in our time of persecution. And in my time of struggle, I never gave up hope in who he was. Now, Jesus goes on always in each of the churches to commend them for something. And in this case, he says in verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blaspheming by those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So Jesus knows what they're going through. Jesus has gone through tribulation himself. He knows the pain and the suffering. And it's not just the tribulation, but he says, I know your poverty. We think of poverty as people who might not have something to eat to, so they go to the open door mission and get it. The word for poverty here means these people had nothing at all. They didn't just lose some money, but they had absolutely nothing. And why was that? According to this, It was from the Jews, the people, the synagogue of Satan, Jesus calls them, because they were the people that were persecuting the church. They didn't like that the church came in and tried to use Judaism as a foundation to explain Jesus Christ. So they persecuted them. Remember, this is a trade city, a port city. How do you have any money if you can't work? And how do you work if you're being persecuted? You know, we talk about persecution in the church of Smyrna. One of the most famous martyrs there was Polycarp. It's said that he was a student of John, and he was the overseer of the church of Smyrna. And he was older. He was like 86 years old by the time that he was persecuted. But the soldiers eventually arrested him and took him before the people to burn him at the stake. They were going to nail his hands so that he couldn't move. And he said, no, don't do that. I won't move. 
And he stood there, and it said that the flames went all around them. And he stood there praising God while the flames were ignited. And then eventually they made sure that the flames got in closer to him so that they would actually incinerate him, which they did. They left him on that fire until there was nothing left but ash. You know what that did to the church? The church grew strong in faith as they watched a godly man who would not deny his Savior. He was told, reproach Christ and I will release you. And Polycarp said, 86 years I've served him and he's never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Would we have that kind of attitude if we were going through persecution? Now, in each of the seven churches, there is generally a condemnation. But for this particular church, there isn't one. Can you explain that? No, he gives them a warning instead. The reason he doesn't condemn them for anything, and he also doesn't condemn the Church of Philadelphia later, is because they haven't done anything wrong spiritually. These are martyrs who are giving up their lives for Jesus Christ. But he does warn them, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Oh, that is so important because what is the world using against us today? It's fear. And why do we let fear creep in? Because life's about us. We don't want to lose our comforts. We don't want to be in trouble. We don't want to lose our jobs. We don't want to get sick. So fear is leading us right now. So Jesus says, do not fear for what you're going to suffer because the devil's about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you're going to have tribulation for 10 days. Now I read that and went, Holy moly, that's about how long I was under oppression, how long I was tested, how long Satan had me in his grip for 10 days. But Jesus then warns them, he counsels them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You see, that's the key. No matter how bad our oppression is, no matter how bad Satan tries to destroy us or bring tribulation into our life, Our hope is in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. We have to focus on the future, hope, the crown of life, not on the problems of this world. So Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. When we are willing to stand with Jesus and overcome the schemes of the devil, he has no control over it. The second death means a spiritual death. People who die the second death die and go to hell because they haven't followed Jesus Christ. We who are faithful and have followed Jesus have the crown of life with Jesus forever. We don't experience the second death. We have to be so careful these days because of what Satan's trying to do to destroy it. He's using false prophets. He's using false teachers. He's using our own sins to get us to turn away from God. The evil forces of darkness are so actively at work trying to take over everything in our lives and we're not even seeing it. We need to wake up and see what's happening. Our world and so many people have fallen asleep. Even we as Christians can fall asleep. I wasn't falling asleep. I don't believe you were either. And yet God still had to get my attention to let me see the spiritual forces of darkness that are taking place. Sometimes Satan's going to use comfort to get our attention. Sometimes he's going to use compromise or pain to get us to turn to his ways. But folks, I'm here to tell you there is only one answer. We see it in the church of Smyrna, and that is to be faithful, to follow the one who was the first and the last, who rose from the dead and who gives us hope for the future. The only answer is to overcome 
being faithful to Jesus Christ and the hope we have in him, to receive and follow the spirit of truth, to receive the crown of life. Will you open your eyes today? Ask God to let you see the spiritual forces of darkness so that you can pull on the full armor of God and be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.